Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. While everyone, you know, a lot of people were offering advice and books and, you know, a lot of intellectual feedback, mm-hmm. Pat was offering very practical, practical feedback, practical support, calling me in the morning, are you up, are you okay, reminding me that hope was not lost. She would say, I'll carry your hope for you until you can have it for yourself. And she would tell me over and over, God will use this, and I could not, that was way beyond what I could even comprehend. She started mentoring me. Um, And about a month into our mentorship, she passed away very suddenly. Janita Pace is Pastor Paul's guest today. Janita is a licensed professional counselor and a pastor's wife. And as a past guest of this program, she has been transparent about suffering from depression, which nearly cost her her life. And Janita has now written a new book called The Healing Names of Jesus. We welcome you to Janita's story and to life support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Eric. a golden boy. All we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. I'm so glad you've joined us on Life Support. And on our show, we do uh, some difficult things. We talk about difficult topics. We aren't afraid to, to go maybe into... Uh, darkness, because you know what? That's where you find Christ at a deeper level, and we're excited to talk about Jesus, and that's what we're going to do today. Janita Pace is our guest. She is an author. She is a licensed clinical counselor, and it's great to see you. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Now, the book is called The Healing Names of Jesus. Start you right there. How did that come about, and why were you interested in that topic? Well, my journey with depression began back in 2001, and I went through a really dark time down to having a a suicide attempt in 2001. And through the the process of healing, I so badly wanted a resource that was both easy to read because I was so overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. I also wanted something that had spiritual depth and nourishment. And so it's so rewarding to now have created a resource that I wish I would have had years ago. And the truth is that the gospel is really what frees us, right? You know, having Jesus be the one that rescues us because of his intense love for us, because of his sacrifice. And so I wanted to create um, a book that would walk people through 31 different ways to understand God that would bring that healing and restoration that I, I've needed my whole life. Yeah, that's good. We'll talk more about that as we go along. But I'm interested in your story because it's a it's a compelling story, and it's really a large part of why you're doing what you're doing today. Mm-hmm. So if you don't mind, tell us about it. Yeah, you know, before I had depression, I really believed that depression was for people who were unstable, maybe people that weren't spiritual enough. I mean, I had a lot of very um, sad misconceptions of what it was. And then when I was in my final year in college at Columbia International University, I was studying the Bible. My husband was a pastor. We were living the ministry life. And I started to... We call that living the dream here. (laughs) The ministry life. The ministry life. Yes, that's right. And, you know, I think I, I began to have really... It was really hard to get up in the morning. I was foggy. I was full of sadness, hopeless feeling depressed, feeling heavy. My, I mean, my body felt heavy. 
And I began to really struggle to go places. And as it got harder and harder, the guilt and the shame Mm -hmm. and the thoughts of you should be an active pastor's wife. You know, you're a Christian. You should feel joy. You should feel happiness. So lots of very shame-based thoughts, which made it worse, which made it harder. And the more I hid in isolation, the worse it got. And I put pressure on Tim, my husband, as a pastor to keep it quiet because I felt that was evidence then that we weren't spiritual enough. And so, you know, in that environment that I put myself in, that I found myself in, I became convinced of a lie that Tim could do ministry better without me and that the world would actually do better without me, that I had stopped giving to the Christian society, that I had stopped being worthy. And so... I remember so well the day that I just made the decision that I would end my life. And Tim was going to work, and I had already decided that after he left that I would that I would commit suicide. And um, so he left for work, and I was kind of getting things organized and arranged. And uh, I had planned on overdosing, and he forgot something. Mm-hmm. And he came home, and he walked in on, you know, me preparing a few things. And it was just, I mean, you talk about broken. It, I mean, we both cried. It was so overwhelming. And he took me to a psychiatric hospital. And that was the scariest experience that I've ever had. I, I still, even this many years later, can go back and think about how scary that was. And for anyone who's been in that position, you think about, you, you lose all of your freedom. You, you go in. And, and I know they were doing what they needed to do, so I'm not judging mm-hmm. the decision. Sure. But... I, you know, they take everything away and they isolate you in order to just try to get, you know, get you centered, get you some support. They did allow me to have my Bible. So once Tim left, I was not allowed to speak to my family. Um, They wanted me to go to an intensive therapy program. And it was one of the situations, I think I've talked to so many Christians that can relate to this, where you're so desperate. You're just flipping through the scriptures. You don't even know what to read. Yeah. And I stumbled on Psalm 121, which talks about how God watches over us while we sleep. And he, you know, he, we look to the hills and where does our help come from? It's a very desperate psalm. And it's, it's, it ends by saying, you know, that we look to God. And I started reading that over and over. I couldn't sleep at night, so I'd read it. I would get scared and I would read it. I just clung to it. And so when I finally got out of the hospital, got home, and I had a bunch of voicemails from different people, and one of them was from Steve Bradley, who was uh, one of our professors. And he said, Janita, I, um, I couldn't sleep last night, and I just felt like I should read this to you. I know that you're in the hospital, but when you get out, I hope you hear this. And he read Psalm 121. And it was such an incredible moment because it was just the confirmation that God hadn't left because I thought maybe God had. Yeah. So he wanted me to meet his wife, and that was the last thing I wanted to do. I didn't want to meet anyone. Uh, but... He had his wife come over. Her name was Pat, and Pat had been through depression on the mission field. And so while everyone, you know, a lot of people were offering advice and books and, you know, a lot of intellectual feedback, Mm -hmm. Pat was offering very practical, practical feedback, practical support, calling me in the morning, are you up, are you okay, reminding Mm -hmm. me that hope was not lost. She would say, I'll carry your hope for you until you can have it for yourself. And she would tell me over and over, God will use this. And I could not, that was way beyond what I could even comprehend. She started mentoring me. Um, and about a month into our mentorship, she passed away very suddenly. Mm. And I got a phone call from Tim, and I was just devastated. And I decided to walk down to our mailbox to just kind of center myself because I was overwhelmed with that. 
And I found a card from her in my mailbox that she'd mailed the day before when she had passed away suddenly. And then it just said, um, God will use this and you'll see. And and so um, I didn't know what that meant, but it was really incredible. And I kept that and I held on to that and thought, okay, how is God going to use this? Because unfortunately, the people at our church didn't understand. And the elders came and instead of praying for us, talked to us about maybe we weren't fit for ministry. And maybe I was living in sin and maybe there were things that weren't right with us. And so we did feel like, wow, maybe ministry is over and we're not capable anymore. But I had Pat's card remind me that that's not true. But that what that does, though, is, you know, you're you're affirming um, a lot of fears that we have in ministry. Mm -hmm. That that's going to be the reaction. Right. And so pastors, pastors, wives are 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 hiding they're in isolation because oh no mm-hmm. the board's going to come over right. and what are we what are we going to do instead right. of feeling free to go and say hey i'm i'm really struggling mm-hmm. and i find that troubling and sad and very very abiblical i i don't see how that fits into how god wants us to be in community together right you know even jesus lives in community all the time the father son and the spirit yeah and he's scared before he dies and he has to have support i mean if god has to have support yeah in those terribly hard times how much more do we right and i think you're absolutely right and and even if you're not in ministry if you're a christian that's um struggling i think that unfortunately there's been unspoken pressure to keep put together yeah and that's you know thankfully we know that jesus wasn't you know he was emotional and needed support so how much and he hung around people that were very not put together and he (laughs) seemed to really enjoy their company (laughs) yeah more from pastor paul and janita pace in just a moment this is steve johnson executive director of five stone media we're a co-sponsor of this program And we are excited to introduce a brand new video curriculum series called Caring for Mental Health. This 10-part series is available at no cost and is designed to help you and others come alongside those who are struggling with mental health. If you'd like to learn more, go to lifesupportresources.org. That's lifesupportresources.org. And now back to Janita Pace and Pastor Paul. Very abiblical. I, I don't see how that fits into how God wants us to be in community together. Right. You know, even Jesus lives in community all the time. The Father, Son, and the Spirit. Yeah. And he's scared before he dies. And he has to have support. I mean, if God has to have support yeah. in those terribly hard times how much more do we right and i think you're absolutely right and and even if you're not in ministry if you're a christian that's um struggling i think that unfortunately there's been unspoken pressure to keep put together yeah and that's you know thankfully we know that jesus wasn't you know he was emotional and needed support so how much more and he hung around people that were very not put together, and you <laughs> seem to really enjoy their company. Even. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what happens? So you 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 go to the mailbox. You have you find this amazing card. Mm-hmm. God's obviously still with you. Yeah. What happened next? 
Well, you know, we we had a therapist who told us that I was living um, in North Carolina. I was living in South Carolina at the time. Excuse me. And we, uh, our therapist just said, move back to Minnesota where Janita's family and friends are that knew her before she became depressed because they'll remind her who she really is. Um, the depressed version of you isn't the real you. And it's, you know, it's hard to remember that when you've been down that road for so long. So we moved and I began an intense therapy program outpatient. And I began learning all these skills and I started to see the gospel in so many of the skills I was learning. And these were not Christian therapists. They were, you know, they had ideas that came from different psychological theories, but I could see God in it. Yeah. And I said to my therapist, I think I want to be a counselor someday. And he said, well, that's, that's, that's really, that's neat that you think that. <laughs> but, you know, I don't mm -hmm. know about that. And mm -hmm. I... I had this, you know, Pat's card, and I, I started realizing that in the scriptures, God likes to use the um, the weak. He loves to use the, un, you know, the person in the room that no one would consider, and he delights in choosing the weak vessels. He wants us to use our weakness for his glory. And so um, down the road, I decided to apply to a graduate program in North Carolina, and I was very honest that I had, you know, been through some really dark times and they welcomed me to join their program and felt that part of the importance of reaching people is to be able to understand what it's like to be in their shoes. Yeah. And I'm glad you didn't listen to that counsel. You know, we're, we're preaching through the life of David here at Ridgewood right mm -hmm. now. Yeah. And so here's this big, this big event at Jesse's house and he's Mm -hmm. Samuel's there, and it's going to be this big anointing, and Jesse's running all his sons out there, and they're all really good-looking guys, and God's saying, Samuel, don't look at how good they look, and they get all finished. Yeah. And all of a sudden, there's kind of this pause in the narrative, and it's kind of like, well, now what? Now what? Right. And then he Samuel has to ask Jesse, do you have another son? Right. <laughs> it wasn't he even had to excited. ask him. Right. Well, yeah, and he never even considered him. Yes. And so what does Samuel say? Well, we'll just stand here until you go get him then. Mm -hmm. And that's what God was doing with you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, he saw something in you that others didn't because you weren't all perfect and put together. But that's why you're effective at what you do. Well, it's And really, I think that's yeah. what God looks for. I mean, God mm -hmm. looks for people that have been broken so that they can walk alongside of other broken people. I mm -hmm. really believe that. That's so beautiful. I, I really believe that God loves to use, you know, when you think about how we're called jars of clay. Yeah. Well, when a jar that is has cracks and it can hold water, we know that it's not really then the jar that's holding the water. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. we, we know there's something supernatural happening. Yeah. And I think that there's such a powerful correlation between, I mean, I want people to know, one of the things I write about in the book is that the more broken you are, actually the more powerful your ministry, because people know then that what you're doing and what God is doing through you is nothing short of just him. Mm -hmm. And when they can see that, it, it, it adds such a, a major impact. Well, it also allows you to listen to them mm -hmm. because you're not dismissing yeah. what they're saying to you. You're not looking at your watch. You're not saying, well, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. You're going, hmm, yeah, that has a lot of relevance and, and it gives you insight in, into them that others might not have. Yeah, And that's a gift as well. 
Mm-hmm. What do you What are you seeing now in in as you go about your your practice and you see people and you interact with them? What kinds of issues are people really struggling with right now in this current crazy world that we're living in? I mm. mean, are are people still struggling with the whole COVID thing, with with the war, with just cultural changes with or the same old good old human problems they've always struggled with like family and so forth what are you what are you picking up Hmm. I think one word that I'm hearing a lot is fear Mm -hmm. I think between you know COVID wars the unknown I think that fear has been a major piece of what I'm seeing I think that there's a reason that God says the word don't be afraid so much in the word in the Bible is that we are easily afraid. You know, mm-hmm. one of the one of the metaphors for people is sheep. And sheep yeah. don't have good vision. They can't see very far. And not necessarily a compliment though. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so they they are afraid because sometimes mm-hmm. they, they don't know if something's dangerous or not. And so I I appreciate that God is gracious in understanding that we get afraid often because we don't know what's going to happen. And when things are going well and seem stable, then we don't really think about our lack of control. But when things begin to become scary, then we have a new awareness that we actually don't have control. What do you wish um, people would say to those who are struggling with depression, struggling with anxiety? What kind of support do you think they need from their friends, from their family members Hmm. that maybe doesn't come naturally in the Christian community? I think the, you know, and speaking as someone who's, who's, and by the way, I still struggle with these things. Depression and anxiety is still part of my life. I still have to work through it. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that I've been so grateful with my family and my friends is that as a Christian, I already know Bible verses. I already know truth. I already, my logic understands that. But what I need is for someone to be patient and to be kind and loving and to live out the Bible verses that I know. I think that there's a reason that when when Jesus talks about how loving God and loving others and everything else can hang on that. And when you love someone, when you really love someone, you have such a desire to understand them and to ask them what they need. And if they Mm -hmm. don't know, to just be present. So many times I, I tell um, the my clients' families is that it's kind of like this person that you love has a puzzle and they're trying to get all the pieces out and they need you sometimes just to be present and just assure them that it's going to be okay, even if they don't know where they all fit. And I think our instinct is to grab the pieces from them and begin try to put them together for them. Yeah. yeah. But to mm-hmm. give them room and permission to not be okay and that you're, you're going to stick around even if it's not okay. But that takes, it takes fortitude. It's, it's going to get mm-hmm. messy. You have to be committed to that person. Yes, absolutely. Because you can't just fix them and walk away. Right. And I think one thing I, I really regret for Tim and my husband is that I so badly wanted him to keep my depression a secret, which was a terrible burden on him that he never should have had to carry. So now having an understanding that not only is depression not something to be ashamed of, but it's important that loved ones have the opportunity to get their own support, their own counselors, and make sure that they're staying healthy. Um, yeah. How does someone know that they're not healthy? Uh, as a caregiver or as... Um, um, not mentally healthy. How, how would someone detect in themselves? 
that they're struggling and that they need help. Because you're right, we don't talk about this. So mm-hmm. I suspect we have many people running around, and I'll just use our church context because that's what we're familiar with, and um, that think they're doing okay, mm-hmm. but maybe they're not. Mm-hmm. And people around them maybe are noticing things. Yeah. How do, how, how do we self-sort of regulate to know if we're doing okay or not? Especially when our lives are so out of order in, in how we've had to change everything during COVID and our kids are, you know, they're angry and they're frustrated and everybody's afraid. How, how do we know? Mm. I think one of the most powerful indicators of how we're doing is what, what happens when there's no distractions and we're alone. Hmm. You know, I think sometimes we, we purposely stay busy. We we use caffeine. We use Netflix. We we The, the coffee <laughs> I have here is really, I think it's probably really decaf. I, I was just, judging you. But. Yes, I, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, I, I think that especially when people crawl into bed at night, um, what, what's going on in their heads before they fall asleep? Do they have trouble falling asleep? I think that it's so easy for us to stay on a hamster wheel, but the question is, once it stops, are we are we able to sit with whatever's happening in our world, or is it really important to us that we either fall right asleep and not think that we have Netflix going on, that we we go out with friends a lot in order to avoid any topics that might be hard to look at? So mm-hmm. I think a lot of it comes when we're when we're alone. Yeah, I think alone is that's a really good point. I know for me, I spend time uh, in the mornings. I mean, everybody else is still asleep, and um, I have mornings that are really hard, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some where, you, you you know, you have those mornings where you're reading the Bible, and it's kind of dry, and you kind of breeze through it, and that's good. I, I got that, and you pray, and you go on your day. But then there are those days when I call, I call it, uh, you know, darkness of the soul, mm. and it just, there's a, there's a heaviness, there's a, there's kind of a darkness that kind of crawls in, and not, I don't even know where it comes from, and yeah. I'm not sure why it's one day and, and not the next day. I've never been able to sort of put that together. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if somebody's experiencing that kind of, uh, and they aren't sure what to do with it, maybe it's brand new, um, what would you counsel them to do with something like that? With a, when yeah, if they start to feel those kind of feelings, maybe they've never felt them before. Maybe some of the things that are happening around them or they're starting to feel like maybe they aren't mentally healthy or they're starting mm-hmm. to question themselves. What would you say that they should do? You know, I think it's really beautiful that as believers, we each carry the Holy Spirit with us. And so, you know, in the Old Testament, God is in a temple. When Jesus is walking the earth, he is the incarnate God. And now God has made this amazing plan where he deposits himself into believers. Mm-hmm. So when we're all together, we're getting this more and more complete picture of God when we're in community. And so I think for me, it's important I tell people that I'm closest to, that I trust, that I want them to help me take my temperature on my mental health. That's good. That's a good terminology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I might not be aware that I'm going downhill, but they might see it sooner. That's a scary question to ask someone, though. <laughs> it is. It is. And you have to be careful who you ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make sure that they do have some discernment. <laughs> right. And right. how they approach it. I mean, the truth is good, but it also needs to be delivered in love. As a pastor's wife, did you feel safe to share what you were going through with anyone? Uh, not in my first church. I think that's important that you have a body of believers who understands that if you're struggling, it's not because you are weak or because you are 
um, less than or that you're not spiritually mature. It's Pastors' wives have the hardest, by far the hardest job in churches. Yeah. well, It's I, really hard. I think, you know, and well, I look at the elders. I look at church leadership. I look at people who are teaching classes. I look at people who are working in children's ministries. And there's so many places where people are just giving, giving, giving. And the question is, are they getting enough spiritual nutrients to keep going in what they're doing? Yeah. All right. The book is The Healing Names of Jesus, Find Freedom from Depression and Anxiety. Janita, how do I find the book? It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart. All over the place. All over the place, right. All right. Well, I really appreciate you being here. We're going to have you back, and we've got some other things we want to talk about. But your story is inspiring. Thank you for being so open and honest oh, uh, with your story. Oh, wow. And I think it's it's neat to see how God has really worked in your life and how he continues to do so. Oh, thank you. Thank hey, you. and if you're uh, listening right now and you're you're thinking to yourself, you know, I know somebody that might be struggling, or I feel within myself that I'm starting to really doubt or I'm I'm swallowed up in fear or anxiety. Just remember that God has promised that he would never leave you or forsake you. And that promise is real. And he is with you right now. And Janita said it very well. As a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And he is the seal of your redemption. And so don't give up. Just allow God to speak to you. And you know what? It may not get better today. It may not get better tomorrow. But God will certainly be with you. And if you're really struggling, please get help and call somebody because um, we want you to care for yourself. I'm glad you were here today. I'm really thankful for our partners that make this program possible. Faith Radio at MyFaithRadio.com. You can see a video rendition of this podcast at FiveStoneMedia.com. And you can check us out here at Ridgewood Church, too, at MyRWC.org. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time right here on Life Support. Thanks for listening to this Life Support Podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of Life Support.